Blog Talk Radio. joining us again today. Today is going to be an open day. It's right before the uh, holiday of Thanksgiving. It is on the eve of Hanukkah, and it's uh, not a good night for having a guest on, except if that guest is you, because you're here already. So I want to invite any of you to call in and uh, ask questions of any sort, as uh, was just posted on Facebook on A Better World Media and uh, what is my uh, Facebook page? I always forget that. Um, I think it's Mitchell J. Rabin. I'm not ever really positive of that. Uh, you are welcome to ask questions. Here it is. Please join Mitchell on A Better World Radio now for a call-in show to discuss any subject, professional or personal, business or social, or discuss our collective future. And simply by calling 602 753 1860 602 753-1860, you can join me here, and we can go over uh, whatever it is that may be on your mind or kicking around inside your heart. You know, we're living in profoundly stressful times. The amount of information that uh, we are juggling at any given moment in time is Nothing short of staggering, truly. The only time we manage to kind of get away from that staggering stress is when we are by an ocean, in the mountains, in a field, in the forest, maybe sitting by a uh, a brook, a small river, a creek, just listening to its sound, usually in some kind of natural context, uh, we can mellow out and free ourselves from the incessant bombardment of information that we experience through our computers, through the television, even the radio, and here we are on radio, but on this radio show, there is no bombardment. There is an invitation, but there isn't a bombardment. There's an invitation to think, to consider, to look at oneself, and to look at the world. And that's what we do here on A Better World Radio and on A Better World TV. And in fact, that reminds me that if you uh, do not yet get our A Better World newsletter, do go to our website, www.abetterworld.tv, and sign up for it and spread the word to your friends. Or if you get it, forward it to your friends, because every week we have some 
really good information on it. We have uh, stories that inspire, and we tell the story about uh, the various media that I engage every week, this week being something in particular, which was a, a radio show that I was being interviewed on. So it's not only that I interview others, and those of you who listen with any regularity know that I actually enter into dialogue. You could call it the art of dialogue or the art of conversation with my guests more than just a formal interview, although it includes that. Uh, but this week, there was a radio show out of L.A. that I was asked to uh, be a guest on, Answers for Your Family. And if you go to our website, abetterworld.tv, you can tune into it. Uh, Alan Cordozo, who is the uh, host of that show, is interestingly has been working with children for many, many years to find missing children. So, in a sense, he really is a detective. And not only does he help to locate the children that are missing, but he also helps to reintegrate them back into their family or into society. And he also has been working with children, and teenagers, I should say, who have kind of gone wayward, who have gotten very involved in drugs or gangs or alcohol or or uh, living a life that is uh, really self-destructive and destructive of society. So doing some wonderful, wonderful work that is uh, so appreciated. And um, so if you go to the website, you'll hear my interview uh, or my being interviewed by Alan. I think you might really enjoy that. And last night, for those of you who received the newsletter would know that I had on A Better World TV at 1030 Eastern Standard Time here in New York, uh, David Pramal and Mitten. If you know them, those of you who are avid followers of spiritually oriented music know these two because they're well-known, very internationally popular, and loved everywhere they go. They are beautiful people. I really enjoy them, and Mitten tends to be very humorous, and uh, we had a really wonderful chat in my studio here in New York City some time back, and we completed the interview, yes, uh, with their singing, the Mula, no, it wasn't the, the Gayatri Mantra, which they do so beautifully, it's, her voice is like silk, it's beautiful, and um, so uh, the last time, uh, well, second last time I saw them was in India itself, we were both, or we were all, at uh, Oneness University outside of Chennai. Really interesting situation. And we were on the VIP campus with Sri Bhagavan back then. It was an exciting time. And uh, But most recently, my good friend Mark Becker, who is the producer of the New Life Expos, both in New York City and Fort Lauderdale every year, uh, invited me to a concert of theirs just about a month and a half ago down in Tribeca here in New York City. And, oh, it was just so moving. And uh, we did go up to the stage afterwards and uh, give them both a big warm hug. He knows them as well. And uh, we have those interviews, that interview I did with them, with their music, uh, for sale on our Amazon site. So again, at abetterworld.tv, uh, if you click on store, you'll be able to track that down. And it's well worth it because it's full of love, it's full of life, it's full of spirit. And you would probably very much enjoy it. In fact, a little commercial. We have many of my interviews over the years 
with different notables such as Dr. Bruce Lipton, cellular biologist, Rupert Sheldrake, a British biologist who uh, brought forward more powerfully the notion of um, morphogenetic fields. Uh, in that interview, we were actually talking about parapsychology um, based on his book, uh, I think it was at the time, The Sense of Being Stared At, which is that sixth sense we all have when we kind of feel around us someone else's attention or eyes on us and we notice that we look around and like what is that sensation we have and uh, he's done a tremendous amount of research in the relationship of dogs to their masters to their owners let me say and there's such an interesting phenomenon that occurs in the morphogenetic field between them so that I'll give you the store right away uh, no matter how many miles they may be separated by, and no matter what the uh, owner of the pet may be engaged in, a movie, a theater piece, coffee in a cafe, making love somewhere in the distant uh, places, you know, from where the dog may be residing, the moment that owner thinks of coming home where he will see his or her dog. The dog, no matter how deep the sleep, stands up and goes to the window. Aware through mirror neurons, through non-locality, through the principles we know of in quantum physics, senses the attention of the owner, the master, and the dog gets excited, starts wagging the tail at the potential return of the master. Now, isn't that, and isn't that something we actually already in some way or another know to be true? But now, by videotaping the dog and the master at the same time in their respective locations, we have been able to prove that instantaneous connection between the dog and the master. And we all have that kind of wiring with each other too. It's not just with four-leggeds, it's also with two-leggeds. And this is a function of our nervous system that we have not fully engaged. So when we talk about that we're using only some 5% of our brain capacity, guess what that other 90 or 95% consists of? It's not the ability to memorize more facts and trivia. We find that what we memorize, we actually lose sight of and lose the memory of in rather, rather short order. But these other, you could call them higher level functions of telepathy, of intuition, of remote viewing, for instance, of, um, of grokking, if you will, empathy, even sympathy, where emotion and mind blend in a really unique way to give us the experience of standing in someone else's shoes to even, you could say, think their thoughts. That is the kind of evolution I see us having as time goes on. If we can stop for a moment uh, being so deeply entranced by the triviality of daily life and pull ourselves out of that to reach a deeper soul level of living, a clearer mind, like a bell, as Zen would have it. We stand a chance at really plumbing our own depths and realizing our own vastness, our, the depth of humanity, which is no short of 
anything we could call divinity itself. But if we are stuck on all of the nails of daily living with all of its preoccupations and drama, how are we going to access these other parts of ourselves, which to develop need some quiet time, need some simplicity, needs to be free from the outer world bombarding us all the time, needs a meditative space. But it's there for us. It's like our nervous system and our soul are simply waiting to be discovered, to be explored. It's an adventure of the highest level. Because in that adventure of mind and brain and nervous system includes the adventure of the heart and the heart chakra, the subtle energy field of the body-mind system. And when we start to unpack these, we start to access, you could say, a whole other ontology. We get launched into a world that's inclusive, inclusive of time and space, but also outside this dimension. And you might even say that stepping outside this dimension is the way to have the greatest effect, influence, and power in this dimension. That's a whole other conversation. But right now, I would like to invite you, call in at 602-753-1860, 602-753-1860, and share what's on your mind. I'm sharing what's on mine, and um, be very interested in knowing what's going on in yours. After all, a better world is about service. I founded this organization back in 1993 for the purpose of being in service to Homo sapiens, to sentient beings, to Gaia, the planet herself. It wasn't a small idea. It was a big idea. But we grow through big ideas, through big challenges, and through big risks. Ask any, any athlete who seeks to outdo his last performance or outdo the performance of his uh, opponent. Ask any entrepreneur who is looking to succeed on another level in business, and that may be that money is his measure of success. But these days, with what we refer to as social enterprise, uh, it's not just money as the marker. It's more than that. It's a feeling of satisfaction, of fulfillment, of a job well done, and of service to humanity or service to whoever our client or customer may be. There is a sense of doing the right thing, sometimes of teamwork, sometimes of finding some level of resolution, of conflict, of mediation, all can win. It's not a win-lose paradigm anymore, folks. We in A Better World have been playing this other game for a long time, which involves everybody winning, and at least two or three, if not four. You know, you can't always include everybody in every single game. But, there are degrees of it, and it's heading in the right direction. And if you listen to the radio show from my, it was only last week, uh, so interesting, Mark Frazier, talking about, uh, in his open world paradigm, setting up market-free zones in different parts of the world, which have led to awesome creativity and imagination in business, opening up the possibility of distribution of wealth because of the Internet, being able to employ people 
in the most developing of developing countries who may make a fraction of what people get paid here, but it's a multiple of the money that they would be otherwise making there. You got that? In other words, he cited an example of a woman in India who is doing um, translation work from not literally translation, transcription work for him. And it was probably 20 times less expensive than having it done here. Here, he wouldn't probably been able to afford it. But there, for pennies on a dollar, so to speak, he was able to employ this much appreciative woman who was very good at her craft, and she was making 5 to 10 to 15 times more than she would otherwise. So we cannot apply, pose, our economics on a developing country and say that they are being ripped off or exploited uh, because their sense of economy isn't matching ours. That's ludicrous. We can't even afford ours. Why did Detroit go belly up? Why did it go bankrupt? Good question. It went bankrupt largely because of the top heavy pensions that city workers were demanding through their unions. Everybody wants to see city workers be well paid. But because of the unions, so funny, because I'm all for labor. I'm for everybody, frankly. But if you have a union organizer who is fighting the battle for the worker to a disproportionate level, nobody can prosper. It won't work. There has to be some scale, some proportion. Otherwise, no city is going to be able to make it. No government can make it. And there is a disparity. And the disparity typically is not in the direction of the laborer or the worker. The disparity, unfortunately, is way top-heavy on the level of management. But this use everything and it uh, angers the unions and the workers to such an extent that when they can grab more they do so it becomes a grab bag that's not an answer to anything you with me it doesn't work that way there needs to be a, a gentler curve of monetary distribution for an economy to succeed. I oftentimes quote Michael Moore's film, Capitalism, A Love Affair. If you haven't seen it, it's a really a wonderful film. Uh, and he interviews a CEO who is on the manufacturing floor, the production floor of the company of which he is CEO. And he's wearing, you know, uh, casual clothing and He's working next to the workers, and his office is right there, I think, right on the floor itself. And he doesn't have some kind of big fancy office on the top of a skyscraper. And he's making a huge multi-multiple over what the workers are making. He earns the same thing. In fact, everybody in the company earns the same salary because they recognize that everybody's job is essential and integral to the success of the company. Not less, but not more. Everybody has their own function. The CEO does not do what the workers do on the floor. And the workers do not do what he does. They have to play their respective role so that together, as an integrated collective, as a whole, as a working beehive, if you will, insect colony. Everybody's in on the act, and everybody is doing according to his ability. Oh, my God, that sounds almost Marxist. <laughs> but in fact, that thinking can serve capitalism well. 
Now, I know that capitalism is getting quite a bad rap these days. Even the Pope was railing against it in what I think is otherwise a brilliant treatise. I was very impressed with what he had to say and the the courage, the audacity he exercised. I mean, in the good sense. Uh, I really thought he was wonderful in standing up to the powers that be and declare a spade a spade by saying we are an overly materialized society and it's way out of proportion and money is here to serve us not to dominate us or for us to serve money at any expense tragedy of those who go to bed hungry every day should be um, central and upfront in the news, not the way the stock market is jumping up and down and sideways. Oh my God, do I really agree with him. But I also agree with the profit motive and that it is very useful and it's, it's essentially a biological function. What's not a biological function is stepping on heads and survival the way we've been conditioned to think of it at the expense of others. What really seems to be showing up through deeper studies in neuroscience is that cooperation, bonding, as Lynn McTaggart's book so eloquently puts it, is really the way of survival and success. We are social beings and we need each other to build something, not kill each other off. What absurdity. It's irrational. It's ugly. It's unethical. (laughs) It's unpleasant. On every single measure, it fails of love and compassion and understanding. Oh, we may feel like doing various things to each other. Oh, we may feel that impulse too. But to touch upon our rational function, and rational doesn't just mean mind. Rational involves a ratio of mind to heart to body to soul in some level of harmony and balance and relative coordination. How is that for a definition of rational? After all, the word ratio is embedded. The number is 602-753-1860. 602-753-1860. Come on, folks. This is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the Big Apple in New York City on Blog Talk Radio. Visit us uh, at our website, www.abetterworld.tv. We have lots of cool things, including DVDs of my interviews with people over the last many, many moons that I refer to as the sung and the unsung heroes of society from people like Julia Asante, who I just had on uh, a couple of weeks ago, who is a Near Eastern scholar of Sumer and Mesopotamia, and yet is also a medical intuitive, and reads you like a book. So interesting, and wrote a book on death and its transformation formational effect on consciousness. Not as the end to anything, folks, but rather as yet a new beginning. What? Death? Are you kidding me? No, not in the least. And if you want to track this notion sequentially, go back in our radio archive to my interview with Dr. Annie Kagan, who wrote a book about her experience of her brother's passing, Billy Fingers, in the book called The Afterlife of Billy Fingers, 
And that's an awesome book as well. And amusing at that, about when her brother, shortly after he uh, dropped his mortal coil, came to visit her and called her the same names he used to call her in life, Princess, I'm here, let's talk, as clear as day and demonstrated that it was him in numerous ways. Oh, you got to read the book. You just got to read the book. And you'll hear something of the living reality of death. Can I say that? The living reality of death. Because it ain't really death. That's just a word. It's the living reality of the other dimension, the soul dimension that exists post-bodily death. Death just means the disintegration of the physical body, dust to dust, as it were, and yet, clearly, an invisible to the naked eye, substance of some sort, carries on, continues on, to tell the story of the soul and to further develop and evolve it. Wow. Cool beans, right? You bet it is. And sometimes people are more effective on the other side, let's say, in the other dimension, on matters here on Earth than they were even in a physical body. So I suggest that we may in fact be getting influenced day by day by powers, energies coming from above and beyond. Now, we are the ultimate arbiters due to our free will. We are the final authors of our lives. Yet, who we are, oh my word, appears to be a bit of an amalgam. There's such an idea as group soul. There's an idea of twin soul. There's an idea, I guess, of singular soul. However you want to cut it up. It's solely unique what the cut up may be. And we just ain't what we appear to be. It's way more complex and way more humorous, I think, than anyone would have any idea. So, at A Better World, we also have our feet solidly planted on this terra firma and are engaged in helping people gain clarity in their own minds, in their own lives, in their own relationships, whether those relationships are personal and intimate or whether they're professional and business-like. Communication lies at the heart of all. And if communication can be clear, explicit, and we can be accountable for our communication, can also then rejoice in the magnificence of teamwork and a shared life with our fellow brothers and sisters, some of whom we have close relations, others not so close. No matter, we're all ultimately, it appears, one enormous soul that have been fractionalized in one way or another. We're sort of like one big cosmic egg acting like separate little, what, spermatozoa? I don't know. As though we have our own unique trajectory. And we do. And it's fun. And we have a personality. And we have an ego. And all of it's good when in ratio. When in proportion. That the ego is not driving the bus. But the passenger. And it can say, let's make a right here. And let's make a left there. And let me help you present yourself in the world, but 
do not let it drive. Let the soul drive. And the personality with ego, which is nothing really, anyway, the sense of I and I-ness, navigate the way while the soul is really filling in the substance of the communication and of the space. Does that make sense? If not, please tell me. I would love to know. Our number here is 602-753-1860, and I have not yet heard from a soul just yet. But indeed, you are invited. I am on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. from 6 to 7, give or take, depending on the day. Sometimes a little before it, sometimes a little after it, sometimes a lot after it, depending on the nature of the communication and depending on whether we have one guest or two, uh, you know, in separate sections of the show. And please know we are currently looking for sponsors, for advertisers on A Better World. We have a large newsletter uh, subscription subscription list of some seventy to 80,000 people. And A Better World really is looking for the appropriate sponsors. Those would be... Uh, companies that are involved in health, in wellness, in nutrition, in technologies that help to serve holistically-minded health, uh, green technology companies, companies that are involved in environmental initiatives or uh, nonprofits that are similar, that are involved in humanitarian work, in feeding the hungry, uh, in educating people about how to feed themselves, all these kinds of initiatives and more. People are looking to prosper and and uh, support others in being prosperous. All of this is within the domain of a better world. It's It's a wide spectrum. But it does have to do with being life-affirming. That really is our zone. And uh, we are currently engaging conversation with sponsors. It's very fun. It's exciting. Uh, We do a lot of promotion for our sponsors and our clients who engage A Better World Promotions, both through our newsletter and our well-trafficked website, and through our weekly radio and TV shows, all of which become in service to our clients and even more to our sponsors, because that costs a little bit more. So please know you can get in touch with us at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr, my initials, abetterworld.net or a better world info at yahoo a better world info at yahoo.com of course so these are the subjects of today the lines are open folks i'd love to hear from you and in the case that i am not hearing from you soon I am going to break open this idea of Thanksgiving as we are on its verge. And what does it mean to have a Thanksgiving? Well, those of you who get the newsletter would know because I give a thumbnail sketch, a brief history of Thanksgiving, going back to the 1600s, when the settlers came over and were close to dying because they could not deal and grapple with the harshness of the winter. Enter the Native American, what we referred to because of Columbus, as Indians, uh, who, seeing the plight,
plight of their white brothers from abroad stepped in to help. Feed, clothe, shelter, and ultimately cook what became known later as the Thanksgiving meal or feast so that the Anglo could thank the native people for their generous, kind-hearted, open hospitality. And so that the indigenous people could thank their visitors for making such a long trek to bring some interesting conversation, ideas, and energy to the table. And to give thanks for their own lives relative to their creator and their source of life itself, the provider of food, Mother Earth, of air, of water, and to their own families from which they sprang. Wow. So it's a time of thanks around the table. Very beautiful. Unfortunately, the Native American people here on Turtle Island got a chance to experience a lot of other things that were not so pleasant, in fact, were horrific, like genocide, pillage, plunder, rape, with the hands of the Dutch, British, Italian, German settlers in what became known as the colonies. They were subject, the native peoples of the Americas of Turtle Island became subject to these wild and woolly and zany and actually rather psychotic Puritans that were uh, imposing their own sense of righteousness and justice on these people who were really the hosts of the imposers and or you could say the imposters. Wow, what an ungracious, ungrateful way to behave as a guest in someone else's land. But that, in fact, is what happened. And I've got to tell you the truth. Every Thanksgiving, I think these thoughts goes out to the native people of this land, Turtle Island, as they have often referred to it. And I am actually embarrassed as a white man for the uh, disturbed actions of my ancestors. Now, my own literal lineage does not really track back to those people who came here to perpetuate such. My own ancestors are from primarily Ukraine, perhaps a touch of Yugoslavia, Poland, and a little touch of Berlin, but primarily Ukrainian. And that notwithstanding, somehow, while few may be guilty, I think it was Heschel who said, all are responsible. There's this Buddhist notion in what's referred to in Tibetan Buddhist practice as Tonglin, a bodhisattvic practice, blaming self. The phrase itself is, to drive all blame into oneself. And that's what I would call these days a somewhat awkward way of saying be accountable and be responsible for all actions. Whether it's literally true or not is secondary, but act as though we are responsible for everything. And therefore, we need to pick up the sense of responsibility for what has happened 
to our indigenous brothers and sisters way back at the foolish, irresponsible, thoughtless, mindless, and in sometimes cases unconscionable actions of our forebears and build a new relationship today, here and now with the peoples of this land who we have so hurt. Now, nothing goes just one way. There's always some dialogue in the tango. And there are many Native people who have also said that the white man did them a tremendous service because by coming here and actually raising hell because it pressed the Native people to join together to reflect on their own violent actions against one another, which happened in tribal and the like, which was rather rampant. It wasn't like this was some kind of paradise without its own conflict. And then the white man came and disrupted everything wholesale. No, 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 no. It doesn't really go that way. It never goes that way. That includes the invasion by... Britain and France, etc., Holland, of Africa, or China, or Japan, or the Philippines, or anywhere. Now, invasion is invasion. Colonization is colonization. Imperialistic impulses are just those. Make no mistake, and I'm not confused about that, and I am not in favor of that way of being. Not at all. I also have to reckon with the fact that this has happened. That is the case now. We all have to deal with it. We can't just roll back the clock. We have to deal with what is. And the pain and suffering that has occurred due to the aggressive, violent acts of our ancestors. And to me, I believe that we are positioned to ask for forgiveness, to offer our humility and our hand to rectify the errors of the past and in that way build a new present and future. When Bill Clinton got elected, I believe, to be president in 1992. I began A Better World TV in March of 1993. I wrote him a letter in January, which I read on the air as what may have been my very first TV show. And the letter acknowledged President Clinton uh, as being <laughs> a peacenik, a lover of peace, Dodger, and someone who was considering even taking a puff of pot <laughs> and a saxophone player. I did not vote for him. I voted myself for Dr. John Hagelin of the Natural Law Party, professor of physics at Harvard, an award-winning physicist, and a meditator through the school of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and through whom the Beatles also began meditating, good company, I'd say, and was also the founder of the Natural Law Party, which emerged from a think tank at Maharishi Mahesh University in Fairfield, Iowa. And he, in 1992, ran for president on a platform, environmental change, protecting nature, of healthy food, of freeing ourselves 
and our food supply from GMOs and really spreading the culture of peace. Oh, I like John Hagelin. Many of you may know him from his participation in the film What the Bleep Do We Know? Uh, One of the directors and producers was William Arntz, who I saw, again, I had him on the TV show way back at the time of What the Bleep was first released, and on the radio show a couple of years back too. But we were at a gathering recently here in downtown New York where we crossed paths again. It was fun and great to see him. And he is brewing up what he is referring to as a sequel of What the Bleep Do We Know? You heard it first here on A Better World. Yes, indeed. Uh, Let it out of the bag. Anyway, um, I wrote to Bill Clinton and said, listen, Bill, you are one of our younger presidents and one of the hipper ones around you have a sense of what was going on in the 60s, of what we could refer to as the onset, inception of the Aquarian Age. That's a debatable point, by the way. But the essence of it, the ambiance, the atmosphere of that idea, the idea of truly deep, humane values rooted in peace, integrity, accountability, and well-being, instead of simply a culture of war, despite what happened. And I said, if you want America to be great, and you want to be the leader of it while it's becoming great, you must account for its horrific history, its tainted past. And the tainting began with the colonists' treatment of the native people. And a major apology and deep request for forgiveness is in order. And while you're at it, if they kindly, benevolently, compassionately grant such, I would suggest you humbly ask them to convene a cabinet-level position of a council of elders, of native elders to help guide you, just the way the Iroquois Nation, or similar to the way the Iroquois Nation helped to guide Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson's thinking, helped to shape it, which of course, as many of you know, helped to shape the essence and values and even tenets of our Constitution and Bill of Rights. Most people don't know that, but it's shameful that you do not because it is a quintessential part of U.S. history. Anyway, I did recommend that to uh, Bill Clinton, and I did recommend that he apologize for all of the oppression, suppression, repression, and affront that the United States government formally and informally, explicitly and implicitly, overtly and covertly caused and perpetuated on any number of different races and ethnic groups in this here United States of America, the so-called melting pot of all people. So who are we thinking about? Well, needless to say, we are talking about the Chinese who came over, many of them, to build the rail system across this nation, who were oppressed and treated as slaves. I'm talking about the black man from Africa and woman who were so horribly oppressed and enslaved in the earliest days of the formation of this country. I'm talking about the Japanese who were interred in camps during World War II. I'm talking about the Latin Americans who came here or who actually lived here uh, when Texas 
was still a part of Mexico. And most people don't realize that. That it was relatively recently, historically, that Texas became annexed to what was known as the United States of America. But before that, it was a part of Mexico. So when you look really at history, square in the eye, not just the victory, the Victorian's history or Victor's history. You're looking through a different lens. And I must refer to Howard Zinn and the people's history of America because that book changes our understanding of our history. And in order to really get Thanksgiving is essential. Really, it opens your eyes, and we see that for Thanksgiving, we really must begin, oddly enough, with apology to the damage and the harm that we as a gathered people have perpetuated on other groups because of something as ridiculous and as skin color or ethnic background, or morphology, or gender. It's insane, literally insane. But that's what human beings do. They commit insane acts. And if they're healthy, becoming healthy, on a trajectory of health, they take responsibility for their acts, and they therefore can truly, in their deep, apologize for the heinousness of the acts of the past and ask for reparation, ask for forgiveness, and make peace in the present for the generations in the future, including our own. Kiss and make up. It can be done. Everybody wants it. Do it. Then you can have a true thanksgiving for more blessings from above and grace from above because we have done as a people, as a collective, the right thing. I see we are out of time. I hope that helped to lay the table for thanksgiving in truly a compassionate way. And, oh, I want everybody to have good fun and eat plenty and enjoy your family and your neighbors and your friends and everyone at the table, including Elijah. So, please know, this is all good. This is our learning curve as humans. We are slow. We repeat the same mistakes over and again. And yet, we are on a gradually spiraling upward evolutionary trajectory with many steps back. Make no mistake about it. Many steps back. So let's do our best. Let's regather all parts of our heart, mind, and souls to move all of humanity as a whole, piece by piece, forward. I so appreciate your tuning in and listening today. And next time, maybe y'all will call in and join me directly live on A Better World. In the meantime, do visit our website, www.abetterworldtv. Get on the newsletter and... Uh, Visit our Facebook pages, A Better World Media, Mitchell J. Rabin. Let me check that again. Mitchell J. Rabin. Is it Mitchell J. Rabin or what? Yes, it is. It is Mitchell J. Rabin. I have just checked. I should know that, shouldn't I? And go into our archive, our radio archive. It's rich. And if you want to see some of these shows on uh, DVD, uh, not the radio shows, but a wide variety 
uh, with healers like Eric Pearl. We've got three interviews alone with Eric, one on reconnective yoga. We've got them with Robert Pang, the wonderful Qigong master and healer. We've got them with uh, Rupert Sheldrake, Dr. Bruce Lipton, cellular biologist, a couple with him on the biology of belief. On it goes. It's a real treasure trove of knowledge designed to educate, uplift, and inspire. On that note, again, thank you from my heart. I wish you all a glorious Hanukkah and a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I hope that you join me again next week.